Welcome to Leaders and Learners. My name is Tanya McKenzie, and you can find me at the intersection of public relations and leadership. Join us as we talk to organizational leaders, elected officials, experts, authors, artists, and personalities sharing their stories, talking about how they got to where they are and how they continue to learn and lead the way. So without further ado, let's get into it. What's up, everyone? It's your girl, T. Happy to be back here again in another episode of Leaders and Learners, where we all know the best leaders are lifetime learners. Today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to learn about something you probably need a little education in, and that is water. Okay, maybe that doesn't super excite you, but I know some of you have been overexcited, emotional, and even outraged about some of the water issues that have gone on in our country. So this is an opportunity for you to hear from someone that has made a whole career about communicating about some of these water crises that we've been dealing with as a country. Now, here's the deal. He used to do some other stuff before. He used to be on the other side of the keyboard before. And it's going to be a fun time talking to him about what that looked like when he was working for CNN and General Colin Powell. I'm trying to tell you, I bring you the good people, the good people here. So without further ado, let's bring in my good friend, uh, Mr. Mike McGill. How are you? Pretty well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Super excited about this conversation. Listen, I know for a lot of people, water is not super exciting, but we're funny. And uh, there are some things that people really need to know. And we both know that they aren't always communicated well from some of these organizations. So before we get into the gloom and doom of how water is killing us off slowly, I want to talk about how you've been living your life prior to Water IPO. That's his company because he's badass. Um, (laughs) But when you were with like CNN and your like previous life. So tell us about life before PR and comms. So I grew up in the D.C. area and I, I just got hooked in the to news and and sports and all the coverage in the area. So there are two paths. I could I decided I either wanted to go politics or sports. So I went to Syracuse, which was a perfect combination of both. Uh, you know, it's it's the pipeline for broadcasters, either in in news or sports. So went there and decided, you know what, I like politics better. So when I got out of school, interned on Capitol Hill, interned with a couple of news organizations and found my way uh, into political news. I was a writer for what is now National Journal's Hotline, which was a daily digest of all the news coverage on politics condensed down and everybody in DC read it. We know the president of the United States was downloading and reading what we were writing every day. Um, That led me to CNN where I was a, a grunt producer of their political talk shows. Mostly I worked on Reliable Sources, the media show, because that's what I worked on at National Journal's Hotline. But I also did Capital Gang. I pitched in on Crossfire, um, you know, a lot of those political talk shows. And so then after, uh, you know, fun, bad boss at CNN, uh, paid my way to get out and go to the web, um, And then the web imploded, so I went into local news. And after my last bad boss in news, I just decided I want a normal life. I don't want to look over my shoulder every day, and I got in the PR. Uh, That eventually led me to to General Powell and being the uh, media director for his nonprofit for a couple years. But I miss news. So a former colleague of mine 
was the head of communications for the Washington Suburban Sanitary Commission, which serves about 2 million people outside of the DC area uh, with their water and wastewater services. So essential part of life in the news every day. And I became their spokesperson back in 2007 and I've been in water ever since. It's so funny to me that you said you wanted a normal life and you got into PR. Hello. <laughs> well, my last job in news, I was thinking about it today. I was the planning editor for the CBS affiliate in DC. And I was told by my boss at the time that I was on the clock from 4.30 in the morning till 11.30 at night. And then he made me, because he started firing people left and right, I had to run the newsroom on the weekends. So my days off became Mondays and Tuesdays. Well, when I got back in the office Wednesday, he would be on fire because we missed a story on Monday or Tuesday. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. The, you know, I can't work seven days a week, you know, 14, 16 hours a day. Um, and he was like, okay, well, you don't have to do it anymore. Bye-bye. So that was my last day in news. And, and honestly, I, I didn't look back. I wanted to get into a field where I could apply the news business to what I was doing every day. And that naturally lent itself to going into PR. On a side note, Mr. Syracuse, how do you feel about uh, Carmelo Anthony's retirement? Uh, well, I thought he was already retired. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but I, we love Melo. I mean, if you go to Syracuse, what he has done for the university is everywhere. Um, and he's a big booster. And, you know, we just named a new coach. Thank you, uh, Adrian Autry, who's great. He was there. He was a player when I was there. And I ran into Jerry McNamara in an airport one time. So we're in good hands. I think our 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 long frustration is over, and I think we're going to be back in, in good shape. But, yeah, we love Mello, but I, I thought he was already retired. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you, now he is. Yes. So we, is. we can celebrate uh, yes. all that he's accomplished. Oh, he's, he's amazing. He's amazing. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Well, I want to... <laughs> I want to um, I want to read this to you. Uh, in 2021 analysis, the widespread and unjust drinking water and clean water crisis in the United States found that nearly half a million U.S. households lacked complete plumbing, while many others were living in communities with unclean water. Right. That is astonishing to many people, including myself. Talk to me about that. How did we get here, especially a country that tends to uh, try to elevate themselves under uh, over third world countries who are suffering right. with things like this, but we are too? Uh, how did we get here? Combination of factors. So first off, let's just talk about our impoverished areas across the country, you know, Appalachia, uh, places where there's always been a shortage of money uh, to keep systems operating and, and, and working well. I mean, if water and wastewater services, we'll, we'll focus on water. Their infrastructure, it's just, you know, we don't think of them as roads, but really they are roads for our water. And if we're not taking care of our roads for our water, then they'll pothole, break, fail, just like our roadways will. And so in our most impoverished areas of our country, tribal areas, you know, you see where that that funding just hasn't been there to keep up with the systems. Um, you know, we've had clients that take on more impoverished areas that are right next door to them 
and they go and inspect their infrastructure and it's basically not even there. Um, you have Jackson, which is a major American city that was allowed to fall apart because of who lived there and how much money was being put into those systems to keep them operating and, 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 and running well. Um, you know, we can get into the sort of death spiral, if you will, of, you know, when we've seen this with urban areas, you know, people leave the urban area, you lose some of your tax base, you lose funding for key pieces of your infrastructure, and then it starts failing and you can't fix it. And you just, you kind of band-aid it and band-aid until some, at some point the band-aids don't work anymore. That's what we've done with our water systems all over our country. You know, we like to run things to failure. And unfortunately, when you let water systems run the failure, you get the situation that you just explained. I can't hear you. You made a comment, and this is why I love talking to you because you're so transparent. I try. Honest. Uh, you yeah. said because of who lived there. Oh, yeah. Are there some communities that are more prone to dealing with these types of issues. And since we know that as a country, why can't we or won't we be more preventative? Okay. So I, I stated very bluntly, you know, if, if anybody argues that systematic racism doesn't exist in this country, the answer you can give them that makes them shake their head, their head up and down is Flint. Flint was a city. There's a great book called The Poison City. 100,000 people were exposed to high levels because of who they were and how little political power they have. Point blank. That's what happened. Um, and that's where, you know, we as a nation, we've allowed that to happen in, in areas where their tax base isn't there, the funding isn't there. So we put the funding where the people are where that can pay the taxes and let inner cities go to rot with their infrastructure. Um you know, I don't want to say it's just, you know, African-American and minority communities, because like I said, we see this across Appalachia where, you know, there are white impoverished areas of this country. But basically, it's, it is a combination of money, power and race. If you lack all three, then odds are pretty good. You've got a poor water system, too. Can't hear you. Your ability to see the differences in us and how different areas, different people are treated is admirable. Where did that come from? Because you never have a fear of speaking up about things that not everyone easily accepts, even though we know it's true and we need some solutions. Right. Not everybody wants to embrace that it's an actual problem and you don't do that. I think it makes you much better at your job. Thank you. But it also gives the rest of us hope that we can all agree that A, B, and C is a problem. Now we can work on fixing it, but not everybody does that. Where did you get that from? I think it's a combination of factors. I think growing up and wanting to be a journalist, I grew up outside DC um, and not and kind of on the wrong side of the tracks here in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is you know, people were shocked that I got out of there, which was crazy. Um, but then I went into journalism. And, and you know, if you're, you work in journalism, you see the effects of bad policy. You can see the effects of, of willing choice, willful choices that are made, especially if you're in D.C. local news. Uh, and then when you work for a water utility that serves 
very different communities. I, my first job on water serving 2 million people, we had Montgomery County and Prince George's County, Maryland, which are two very different counties when it comes to um, you know, wealth, power, race, you name it. So when you're representing both those communities, you get a, a wider view of everything that's going on in water. And, and that's one of the reasons why I talk about it. So clearly, I'm a bit of a unicorn in my field because I came from news. I came from a background that wasn't just about water. Um, I will say this as well. I'm 52. Some of some of the the old ways had to age out and move on. I think when you see so you see younger people, more diverse workforce come to to bear in the water industry. I think you'll see that coming up more and more. I often say this industry is about 10 years behind. It's 10 years behind on technology, on infrastructure, on communications, and on workforce. Um, and so we've got to catch up with that. And I think you'll see more and more of what I'm bringing to the table uh, be brought to bear here in, in the coming years. So Jody says, Mike does a terrific and important does terrific and important work. I love learning from him. Check him out on Twitter at Water IPO. Are you saying that journalism doesn't have bias? Is is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I like I said, I produced CNN's reliable sources for a long time. All right. There are certainly biases you bring to bear. You're a human being. You bring your experience to the table and your gut reaction. At times, you've got to separate that out, you know, and you can't let that, you know, come to bear. But you're a human being. That that comes into play. And if you see something, you're supposed to say something. And that's the attitude I have. If if I see something that's wrong, I'm going to say something. Now, I am not the, the, you know, I'm a defender of public water. So there are some lines that I will draw when someone says, oh, like, you know, kind of what you alluded to earlier. Oh, my water's poisoning me. Oh, you know, you know, we're in trouble. Everybody can't drink their drinking water. I'll stand up and say, well, no, that's that's not the case. And here's why. But as more and more stories come out about the difficulties we, we've, we're having in, in treating our drinking water, the more and more we have to be out there talking about it. And I'll bring it back around the Flint. Flint affects everything I do. You know, it has everything to do with every water quality situation, because in that situation, we as water people failed. We failed. We rolled the dice with people's lives and we were wrong. And as a result, there are kids in Flint that are going to grow up developmentally challenged because of the lead that was put into their bodies. I mean, that's that's it. We failed in that. 99.9% .9 of the water industry didn't do that, didn't do it at all. But whenever I have an um, interview with a reporter talking about water quality, sooner or later, the Flint question will come up. And so we have to be out front and talking about it so our public understands that that's not the everyday situation in water. What are some of the other situations that you have dealt with or been brought into that are similar, maybe not as horrible, but are similar to Flint? So the typical lead exceedance that we have in this country, and we're talking about getting lead out of our pipes now, um, has nothing to do with Flint. You know, it is simply you've got older homes, older fixtures, lead service lines going into those homes that are found to have lead. We're doing we're under we're going to be under this new rule, lead and copper rule that is designed to get the lead out, get it out properly, protect the people while we're getting it out. 
And so we can all move forward with a future without lead. You know, that's very different than what happened at Flint, where they changed the water source to a more corrosive water source. Then they took what is called corrosion control, which protects the pipes to keep the lead from leaching into the water. They took that off. And then when they discovered they had problems with it, they were like, well, we're going to switch back to the water soon enough. Maybe it'll be okay. Why, Why would someone do that? Because from people that have watched their people be affected by that, we would say that was, that was racist. That was, they're trying to kill our people off. Like, it, yeah. And, and I've been asked that question. I've been asked that question. You know, people in water basically said, you know, too bad. You know, what happened here in is there's a, the great book, Poison City. I highly recommend it. it walks through everything, but basically you get to that point where you're like, oh my God, this is happening. What do you do? Do you try and, and you cross your, your fingers and hope you get through it and that you'll come up with the solution in time that people won't find out about it? And, oh, by the way, if they do find out about it, the solutions up and running already, so everybody's okay. That Those were calculations that were made. Um, also, let's face it, part of the calculation is those people didn't look like me. Those people weren't people that I connected with. So it's a little easier to maybe divorce myself from what they're going through than let's say if it was happening in my backyard with my neighbors. Um, that's also a fact that was also a factor there too. So, and it's so frustrating because true pros in water, you know, and I say this every day, 99.9% .9 of people in water don't want to give you a product that they wouldn't drink themselves. Mm. You know, that's basic and fundamental, but in what happened in Flint, they were delivering a product they wouldn't drink themselves and they didn't admit it. They rolled the dice uh, and they got caught. They got caught and people there are, are paying for it. Oh, that's so painful. Yeah, um, it's brutal. It's painful to think that people are literally being tortured from the inside out based on decisions that others made maybe not with malice. It sounds like you're saying it, it wasn't with malice. Yeah, there was, there was being, they were just a, a series of bad decisions. Um, in some when cases, you make a decision and in, in some cases, there were lies. Let's, I let's highly respect yeah. your, your thought leadership on these types of situations. So when you are making a decision, a calculated decision, even if That's your right. calculations were wrong, yeah. You are still saying, I'm willing to take that risk. Is True. that not malice? Huh. There oh, are some Mike. people that were involved where you could you could apply that word to. There are other people that were involved that simply, deer in the headlights, made bad choices, made bad decisions. Um, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but listen, those... Uh, their poor decisions on top of poor decisions and then covering it up created, created a, a situation where 100,000 people were fed water with lead at high levels. That, that can never happen. And, and the biggest problem for us in water is that impacts all of us who would never do anything like that at all. Never would do anything like that. But we have to answer for it almost every day when we talk about water quality. What are some of the safest areas, um, the safest water, the best quality water in the United States that you, you've heard of? 
New York City. Mm, New York City really? is widely held as having the best drinking water uh, in all ways, shape, or form. And it's because their source water, which is in upstate New York, um, is fully protected. That drinking water source is is pristine. I mean, it's it's excellent. That's why New York City, of all the places, you know, we throw out all these things about inner cities now and large populations. Oh, they're hellscapes, right? Well, when it comes to drinking water, New York City is probably as good as it gets um, because and it's because they take care. They've taken care of the drinking water sources. Part of the problem we have in this country on the other examples of contamination like PFAS, which is another thing that's cutting across all, you know, socioeconomic, you know, uh, demographics uh, is because we haven't been protecting our source waters. We've allowed them be, to become dumping grounds. In some cases, we didn't know it. In other cases, we did. Um, and so that's why we have, a, tr you know, emerging questions with water quality all over the country. But if it's widely held within the water industry, if you want the best tap water, it's in New York City. I didn't expect that. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I, I had a feeling about that. That's why it's always a good answer. It's a good answer yeah. for that question. Yeah. Oh, my God. One of the things I, I would love for people to take away from, from this, just follow me, is what a good addition to the squad you are. This is why. Everything we've talked about, you've embraced it like we Oh, mm -hmm. we this and we that. Your company is not their company. Y'all are separate. So you don't have to take ownership of these people's shortcomings. And both of us know that civic organizations get it wrong a lot, especially when sure. it comes to communications. But you lump yourself in, you take ownership of the problems that you and your company are joining in to solve. Right. Why do you do that? You've said we, we, we a million times. And I want to know, why don't you separate yourself from these problems? Particularly because you're in comms and sometimes people just don't listen to us, right? right. We give them great right. advice, we do all the well, things, and they still run off and do their own thing. And we're attached to them. So how do you bring yourself to be so united with your this organization, this industry where everything you take such ownership is a we. Right. Uh, basically, I think this is something you'll connect with perfectly as well. If you're working with good people, you're, you'll go to the mat for them. You'll do everything you can to help them succeed. And that's what we have in water. I mean, the situation in Flint, you, you had some bad actors, some cases there were good people making bad decisions. But we'll move off to the, the entire water world. The typical water provider is just a good series of or, or a group of public servants. They didn't get in the water to stick out their chest and say how important they are. They just provide an essential service as best they can 24-7, 365. And they they for many, they've never had to communicate it because our, our water systems, our infrastructure is always out of sight, out of mind. So if they were out of sight, out of mind, they did their jobs, you know, everything was fine. They could just move through their, their lives and their careers. Now with the way the communications world works, now with the issues that we face, you can't do that anymore. So they need help just in basic communications, but certainly in strategies when, 
you know, they've hit their worst moments. They need help. And that's where I like coming in and helping them out. They're good people. You know, they're they're in difficult situations. I mean, some sometimes I've been referred to as a wartime consigliere. You know, when people at their worst moments, I've got their back. I'll take bullets for them if I have to to help them get through it. If it's right and proper, you know, the rule you I'm not I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to stand out there and say something that's not true. But in a lot of cases, these good people are having trouble getting out just good information to the public that calms them down, that gives them a better sense of of what is going on. That's why I say it's a we. We're going to do this together. Whatever you need me to do to help you out, I'm here to do three o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock at night, whatever you need, we'll do it. And um, it's something this industry hasn't really had and they desperately need it. Yeah, you are definitely appreciated. Listen, I don't want to get too political here, but I'm going to. Uh, okay. It seems like many of our leaders, our legislative leaders, make decisions that hurt a large portion of their constituents, yet still they get voted for. I don't understand it. Sure. I want to talk specifically about Mississippi, though. Like, yeah. it's one of the poorest areas. Their leaders are making a lot of money. Their water is trash. And no one seems to be upset about it like what what is going on there and like nationally how is this even a thing boy <laughs> uh talking about mississippi that's that's an interesting one i can't understand it well listen i can't understand it for all the reasons we've talked about you know who lives there how little political power they have especially in the state of mississippi you, you know i covered politics for a long time gerrymandering both ways has been one of the worst things that's, that's ever happened in this country. It's the reason why we're in the state we're in, because I don't have to govern for everybody. I can just govern for the people who elect me. And mm. usually those people who elect me are not worried about people who don't look like them, who don't have their money, who don't act like them, who don't have their views. So you can cut that out. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you saw Jackson allowed to run the failure. It's the state capital. You would think there would be a pride point that we can't let the state capital go bad. But you know who is getting clean water in Jackson? The elected officials. They were taken care of. Their spots were fine. Or they were getting bottled water and then they were going home to their communities where they had clean water. They just drove right over it. You know, um, that's, a, that's one of the things you scratch your head. Why would you do this to your state capital? Well, you did it to parts of your state capital. Which parts did you do it to? Well, the people who don't look like the leadership and do, who don't have the money of the leadership and who don't have the power of the leadership. And that's what you, that's, I think, the, the Mississippi situation. And you'll see that in other places all over the country as well. I mean, keeping water rates low is not necessarily a Republican or Democratic thing. It's a, it's a political thing. If I can keep those rates as low as possible, and I can say that to the people who elect me, I'm going to look good. Unfortunately, because that has worked for so long, our systems are in desperate need of funding. And that funding comes from customers. It comes from customers, which is why you get that death spiral I talked about before. If you can't get that funding from your customers, if you can't raise rates on the people of Jackson, you know, that's, that are left there and getting bad water, 
then it's hard for you to improve your systems. And that's where we finally need federal funding to come in and help out. That's why we're going to finally address lead. We're finally getting federal money to address lead because without that money, we wouldn't be able to do it ourselves. So what's the fix in a place like Flint or uh, Mississippi, even Hawaii? I've heard about some of their problems. Yeah. The what fuel. is the fix? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the fix? As someone that yeah. advocates for good, clean, high quality water, but understands that the people that need it the most are the ones that are least likely to get it. What, how do we fix this? Or do we not? Well, just, you know, the, we, we can get higher minded here and talk about the need. We need to get back to the social compact of taking care of each other when it comes to essential services. I mean, water is life. Water, you can't live without it, you know? Uh, and we have to think about our, our fellow human beings and the fact of whether or not they have access to clean water. Um, you know, a lot of it is the funding piece. You know, we, what we found, my first job in water, 2007, I started my firm in 2017. So I worked in with water utilities for 10 years. My first job in water, Washington Service Sanitary Commission, we had 2,104 water main breaks my first winter. The reason why was we didn't have a rate increase for six years. And this was an area that, that could afford it, but they wanted to keep them low because that was the way they got reelected. That's the way they got reappointed to the board. So they, we let it run the failure. 2,000 water main breaks. What happened? We invested money in our infrastructure, which is what you see with the infrastructure bill. Um, you know, infrastructure is bipartisan. It, it's a rising tide that lifts all boats. If you invest in your infrastructure, your return on investment is two and threefold, and it improves life for everybody. Not only the people living there, but the people who are working there that might not live there. And you get a better, you know, quality of your services and quality of life. So smart investment in infrastructure, it has always, we've always seen the benefit everywhere we've gone. Uh, but there has to be the political will to allow that to happen in places that might not fund my campaign, might not have that political power, might not be someone who looks like me. You have to be willing to do that. And, you know, in some places we've gotten that in other places we've moved away from it. Mike, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, um, yeah. but I do have to ask Celtics or heat. Oh God, Jimmy buckets. Um, well, here's a theory. Here's a theory. Game six, he better win it. Um, but I think I I think in the end, Spolstra comes in, coaches him up. Jimmy Bucks, Buckets takes him in. I got I'll take the Heat by six. How's that? Mm, in six, okay. six. Heat or Denver? In six by six, and then Denver blows their doors off. <laughs> yeah, Denver blows their doors off. NFL, <laughs> who's coming up? Who's coming? Who's coming up on top on the NFL this year? Oh boy. Um, all right, well, let's see. Uh, you know, as a as a fan of the Washington football team who I hope the commander name drops away from and Dan Snyder, you know, leaves and goes far, far, far away. He's ruined the team in my youth. Um, you know, I even tried to be a Ravens fan. I'm a big Lamar fan, but I always come back to, to my D.C. people. Um, mm -hmm. Who's going to win it? You know? Who are, who are the two quarterbacks I fear the most? Burrow, Mahomes. Mm. Whoever 
the whoever wins out of those two wins it all. That would that would be my initial feeling because and um, you know because I don't see anybody in the NFC doing it. But I, I what I'm looking forward to, I think I think Aaron Rodgers is gonna. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to get old fast this year because I've got friends who are Jets fans and they're, they're cautiously optimistic. And I have a feeling it's not going to, I have a feeling it's not going to go well. I always like that guy. I think he's been spending too much time in Butte County. I don't know what, what has gone on, but uh, he's changed. Yeah. yeah. He's, you know, he's getting older. Oh, wow. a we, we get a little, we get a little odd when we get older. Never mind. Not talking. Yeah. Anyway. A little wonky, like you know, Joe Montana's still the same old Joe. This guy, right? Yeah, well, boy, yeah, that was a different time. That was a different time. Joe could disappear in the off season, and we never heard from him. And you know, everybody's covering. Yeah, you know, I had a friend of mine comment about the OTAs that are going on. When when I was growing up watching football, did they they showed up at training camp and they were drinking beer? I mean, it's a whole different, whole different environment. From back then to today, but yeah, if, if 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 I had to lay money down, it's either Mahomes or Burrow. I think they're the two the two best, and it's a quarterback league. Okay, I'm gonna trash up this talk really quick. <laughs> Trump or DeSantis? Oh boy, um, neither. Um, listen, <laughs> I, well, what, what, here's what the thing. What is going on? What is going yeah, on right now? Uh, well, Trump's going to – DeSantis isn't ready for prime time. Trump owns prime time. That's what's going to get you in the, in, the, in the GOP primary. To be honest with you, on the GOP side, I hope someone like a Sununu gets in there um, mm-hmm. because I think he's the, the, the path. Um, I saw yesterday DeSantis came out and said he would pardon January Sixers. You know, he's – you know, he's it, – it's it's – you know, and that's disqualifying. I mean, please, come on. They, come on. they, they. Ri- I've, I used to walk through that Capitol every day. No, they put lives at risk. They put the lives of the top three people in the line of succession of the presidency at risk. And you want to pardon them all? No. So, I for the for the party's sake, and for our country's sake, I hope someone like a Sununu emerges. Um, I always like Larry Hogan, Maryland. He's not going to run, but Sununu's been talking about it. And um, I, I think he could be your wild card. Um, but, you know, he, yeah. I don't know if you play spades, but I could definitely take a wild card right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We need yeah. A wild card. I don't um, play spades, but I know what wild cards are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Listen, for the people that, professionals in this hustle and grind culture that we're in uh, talk to us really quick about how you manage all this. You run an organization, you're a big sports fan. You don't really miss much. You affect other people's lives. How important information is communicated to us, regular folk. You have someone in your life that you love and have to dedicate time to you travel endlessly how do you manage? Like, what does time management and sanity management look like to you? Oh, boy. This is not going to be a good question for the audience to hear or to answer the audience to hear because I probably am not the, the, the best example in the world. I'll say this. This is the news part of my life that's transferred over. 
I do things in 15 minutes that take people all day. I'll do something in a day that might take someone all week. That's because I always had a deadline. You know, first eight years of my career, I had to crank things out quickly and well. Um, in, in this world, I've got probably a stable of about two dozen clients or so and with various you know, crisis work, overall work, project work, whatever the case may be, and then people who dip in and out looking for help. Um, I do have a team of independent contractors I use to crank out some of the work and, and take some of the pressure off and, and really help out with client services. I'll say this, 80% of what I do transfers over to everybody I work with is that customizations that that's 20%. So, you know, as long as I'm doing that, I can cover most of the ground very well, even when I'm on the road. Um, and, and there's the fact of just loving what you do. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I talked about working 16 hour days in news for someone who didn't appreciate it. Well, now I might have 16 hour days, but I know the people are appreciating it. And I, mm. and like I said before, you're working for good people. So you're, you're doing your best for those good people. If their lives are improved, their, their careers are improved. They get to sleep well at night because someone's got their back. I'm perfectly willing to work 16 hour days in order to get that done. So it can be interesting at times. You know, there are times when I've really pushed that envelope, but usually it, it, it kind of rolls back and gets it back into the groove a bit where everything can be managed, home life, road life, work life, everything. I'm looking for uh, either a IV drip of caffeine or like a patch, something like that. I don't know right. where we could get one from. Uh, no, but, um, you know, if we find out, if there's something connected to water, I'll find out and pass it along to you. That's for sure. Okay, I'll take yeah. it. Absolutely. I love it. So listen, I went ahead and put your website down on the ticker so you guys okay. can get in touch with Mike uh, there, his firm. If you need him, he's, he's your wartime guy, but let yeah. the people know other ways that they can get in touch with you, follow your journey. You're heck of funny, mm -hmm. connect with you on Twitter. <laughs> let them know. Yeah. So mainly I'm on Twitter at, at water PIO. You can always DM me. You can always talk to me, you know, engage with me on there. Uh, I'm on there a lot. I talk about more things, not water than I've ever had before, because that's the way the world is now. Um, you have our website there. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can just look for me on LinkedIn and drop me a line. Um, and then we have a 24 seven number. So if you're in trouble, you need some help. We're there. Uh, our first consultation is always free. You can just contact us, call or text 910-622-8472. But really the best way is through, uh, either waterpio.com or through Twitter at waterpio. Uh, and we will get back in touch with you right away because, you know, I've been on crisis comms for 20 years. Um, you don't have to wait long for a response from us. I appreciate you for being here. I appreciate what you bring to the table, what you bring to the conversation and how you continue to motivate the rest of us to be stellar at what we do. You're a great representation of the communications industry. And I just thank you for taking the time because I know you ain't got a lot of it. So thank yeah, you so much. Fun. I, I knew we were going to enjoy this. I knew we were going to enjoy it. But before I let you this. go, I got to let you know, defense wins championships. And if we keep our quarterback, 
The Niners are coming. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, he got pretty far with Brock Purdy, and Kyle Shanahan should have been in Washington. We put up with the Jay Gruden years, which is okay. ridiculous. But we were never going to win anything with Dan Snyder anyway. So, the the please, dear God, let the sale go through. Please, please, dear God, please. I'm begging. And if you. we can, it's been a long and time. And if we can clean up our pool party. What's that? And if we could clean up our pool problem, we might be okay, the Warriors. Oh, yeah, your pool problem. Well, I've been a, you know, I'm from D.C. We haven't had a functioning basketball team for a long time. So, you know, the NBA, I just get to just watch it for joy. You know, it's like watch the, I mean, the the play is just incredible. That's why, you know, it's going to be Denver in five either way. But I I hope the Heat put it, I don't want to see the Heat go down four straight. Yeah, me neither. That would hurt. So, again, yeah. thank you. I look forward to staying connected with you, y'all. I promise uh, he can answer all your questions or at yeah. least have something to lean in on. So take the I time, connect, follow. And if you're ever out here in California, let us know. we Will do. Great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure if you have questions about some of the stuff going on, water-based, I know many of us have always wondered like, what is this? How did, how did that even happen? Mike's got you. He's been doing this for a long time. He understands how to prevent these things on top of how we even get in those situations and how to get out of them. And we don't, be, we don't want to run around with these preconceived notions about things. So before you start to comment on them, probably should find out the details. I hope that he shed some light uh, for you on how some of these things work. And not everyone is malicious and out to do harm. Sometimes bad things just happen, but there's people like him uh, that help find solutions. So I hope you learned something today. Thank you for being here. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Hey, thanks for showing up to the podcast where we all know that the best leaders are lifetime learners. When you get a sec, take a moment, leave a comment. What do you think about today's episode? And share it with someone that you know could use the gems that were dropped today. Follow and subscribe. You don't want to miss who's coming up next. You never know who could show up here and what they could say. For your professional needs, marketing, PR, communications, and leadership, make sure you follow us on all social media platforms at Sand and Shores or hit us up at sandandshores.com. Again, thanks so much for showing up. We appreciate you and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.